0: Today's episode, I'm going to answer listener questions. Welcome to Bite Me, the show about edibles where I help you take control of your high life. I am your host, Marge, and I am super thankful that you're here listening, and I really appreciate your time. So I'm going to get right into it this week. I don't really have any other housekeeping to share, and there's quite a few questions that I need to cover for this episode. I've kind of been saving them up for quite a while. I know I talked about doing a listener Q and A uh, probably a few months ago, and uh, I've been collecting those questions, and then I I kind of forgot about it, I have to admit. So we're going to get right into it today. And I have noticed that there are quite a few questions on decarbing, and that seems to be something that mystifies people quite a bit. Or once you get into making edibles, those the decarb questions are ones that I see again and again, and we're going to cover a couple of those ones today. But the first question comes from Michelle, and she asks... Is it okay to put both CBD and THC in your edibles? And the short answer to that, Michelle, is of course, you can do either or both. Whatever you feel is best for you. If you want to make edibles that are CBD only, then by all means, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you're going to save money over buying CBD edibles that you can buy at a dispensary. So why not? I enjoy CBD edibles all the time. There are times and places where you don't necessarily want the intoxicating effect of THC. And yet CBD can bring about a lot of positive benefits to people. So I say go for it and enjoy them without concern. And oftentimes, if you can get flour that is balanced with CBD, it really helps to enhance the THC in a really positive way. So I say go for it. This question also comes from Michelle. I just want to know, do I need a cannabis license to sell edibles? The short answer is It depends on where you live, because the rules and regulations are going to vary from place to place. And where I am, you would need some kind of licensing in order to handle any kind of cannabis. And I mean, if you look on the internet, uh, just scroll through some Instagram, it's not hard to find people who are sort of skirting the laws and doing it anyway. But of course, doing that, there is inherent risk and you do run the risk of, breaking laws and then, you know, having to deal with the consequences of breaking those laws. In most cases, to sell edibles in a legal state or province or what have you, you are going to need some kind of license. And depending on where you are, those licenses are going to be easier or harder to get. Where I am, I... I think the cannabis licensing is pretty cost prohibitive. It makes it very expensive for small operators, small businesses who are already operating in the food space to get into that business. But that doesn't mean it can't happen. But in most cases, you're probably going to have to have some kind of special license to be handling cannabis. The best thing, of course, is to check with your local chamber of commerce or local business associations. Um, Any kind of place that would have up-to-date information on the regulations where you are, because again, they're going to vary so much from place to place. The next question comes from somebody I didn't get their name, and this is a decarb question as well. Should I decarb CBD weed prior to using? The answer is yes. Yes. Decarbing the cannabis, it doesn't matter what kind of cannabinoids are prevalent in that particular strain, whether it's a CBD only strain, a balanced ratio or THC, you're going to want to decarb because the process is still the same. In the decarb process, you're removing the acid molecule from the cannabinoid in order to make it bioavailable to produce the effects that you're looking for. In the case of THC, you are taking THCA and converting it to THC with CBD, the process is the same. You're taking CBDA and converting it to CBD via the decarb process. So it doesn't matter what kind of cannabis you're using, you should decarb ahead of time. The next part of that question is, how should I store my edibles once I've made them? Will they go bad? And storing your edibles is like storing any other food product that you've made. So if you've taken the time to make whether it's gummies or baked goods, cookies, uh, something savory, however you've made that or whatever you've made, it's going to go bad at some point unless unless you've added a lot of preservatives or you've done certain things to it. So you're going to store it in the same way that you'd store it if it wasn't infused. And I would say that when it comes to edibles, the freezer is your friend Oftentimes I make edibles and I give away a lot. I eat a lot of them, of course, but sometimes, you know, you make a batch and you have a large enough batch that you can't always consume them fast enough before the risk of them going bad. And many edibles are very easily frozen which means you can enjoy them at a more relaxed pace without worrying about pulling something out of the fridge with a fuzzy layer of mold over top because that's always a little disheartening when you've gone to all the trouble to decarb, to infuse and to bake, and then find your item has gone bad on you. That's never any fun. So look up if whatever it is that you're making is freezable, then make use of that because they will go bad just like anything else because you're using real food. The exception, of course certain certain edibles that you can make, like say hard candies, or, or gummies, that type of thing, which have pretty high amounts of sugar, a lot of those will take a lot longer to go bad. But in many cases, they still will eventually. So just take care to look up or to consider how that food is going to be stored normally. Some edibles are more prone to going bad faster. I've found, of course. Infusions, like when you're infusing something delicate like a heavy cream or a whipping cream, that's not going to keep for very long. And it's probably not very freezable either. So, in those cases, when you're making certain edibles using more fragile infusions or whatever the case might be, then you're going to want to use them up quickly or have an idea of how you're going to use them before you go to the trouble of infusing them. The next question is from Wayne I have a question for your show. Should we be using special tools only for our cannabis infused, separate from our everyday cookware? I read a post about cross contamination and wondered how true this problem is. Am I going to get people high by using the same rubber spatula for cooking, even though I washed it? And that's an interesting question, it's something I hadn't really considered before, but I think the short answer is I think you're fine. Cross-contamination is, of course, an issue when you are preparing lots of foods. My one daughter owns and operates a vegan restaurant, and she was always very concerned about cross-contamination because it's a gluten-free restaurant as well. And there's a lot of customers that come in, of course, with food allergies. And if you have celiac disease, consuming any kind of gluten can be highly problematic and make you feel really sick. So she's always concerned about keeping work surfaces clean, not having anything with any gluten anywhere near the restaurant, because that is a concern. And sometimes you have to really read packages too, because you'll, she'll buy products that say may contain because it was processed in a factory that was processing other foods that had gluten. So she has to avoid those types of products. But that's in a commercial context where you're going to be having people coming in with the expectation that your food isn't going to make them sick, of course. In this particular instance, as long as you've washed your tools properly, you throw them in the dishwasher, you've washed them with hot soapy water, you're going to be fine. You don't have to have a whole separate set of tools just for your cannabis infusions and your cannabis cooking. So you don't have to worry about that the only way that that might be a problem, of course, if somebody comes along and they see this bowl and spatula and they don't happen to realize you've been cooking with cannabis and they like to lick out that bowl, something I used to really love doing as a, as a kid when my mom was baking and that can certainly get you high, but that's not really a cross-contamination issue. That's more just enjoying some of the batter that you might be making into something baked. So you don't have to have a separate, uh, bunch of separate tools. So I just saved you a whole bunch of money there. Don't need to worry about running out and getting special tools. I mean, if you like having something that you want to keep just for your cannabis cooking, then by all means, but definitely not necessary. The next question comes from Barry. I've mainly followed the magical butter machine recipes that mostly include lecithin. I noticed, however, that you didn't mention this. Is lecithin, lecithin, in your opinion, necessary? I'd happily leave it out if it's not needed. Now, this is a great question because my understanding, of course, is that lecithin can increase the bioavailability. Bio so he is correct, Barry is correct in the fact that I don't tend to use lecithin and I'm not really sure why, because now that I'm digging into it a little more, of course, I realize that it is good for bioavailability and it is also good for emulsifying. So I went over to the Magical Butter Machine website, and they do have a great website with lots of recipes and resources. Even if you don't own a machine, it's a great place to get ideas for new recipes, and they have lots of new content coming all the time. And they have an article here called Your Guide to Lecithin, Everything Edible Makers Should Know. And the article has several sections. What is lecithin? Why is lecithin important in baking and making can of butter or other oils? binding and baking with cannabinoids, creating a better dispersed dosage. Lecithin may help make your edibles feel more potent. There's it covers sunflower and soy lecithin, which are the common varieties that you'll see out on the market. It's also powdered or liquid and it covers that. Lecithin health benefits using it in your edibles. It's a great article, so I'll link to that in the show notes. I also went over to the Ardent Cannabis website, because I really like the content that they carry over there. And of course, they were speaking to lecithin as well. And they say lecithin is an additive that aids with emulsification, bioavailability and absorption rate. Lecithin made with either sunflower or soy can be added to your infusions to help boost the experience further. So there you have it I don't really do it and I probably should it can really be helpful when you're using an infusion in some kind of product where there might be water because it really does help the fat in the water sort of emulsify more seamlessly and I have run into those types of problems uh, myself from time to time depending on what type of edibles I'm making so is it worth the investment of buying a, a, a bottle of lecithin which, by the way, is very inexpensive. I'll try and find something on Amazon to link to so you can have a look and see, but I've got some in the cupboard. I have used it. I just haven't really talked about it a lot, but that's what makes this such a great question because it is a worthwhile step to take to help make your infusions that much more powerful and enjoyable in the end. And they post another thing here. Lecithin is an emulsifier, which is an ingredient that helps other ingredients mix more easily and remain mixed. Lecithin helps the beneficial molecules of your plant bind to the fats in your butters and oils. So there you have it. Should I be using lecithin? So should you. You know what? I've been making edibles for years and I've never really included it very often. I have from time to time. When I'm making cookies or baked goods or all that kind of thing, could they be better if I added lecithin? Probably, and I should be experimenting with this, and perhaps I'll report back when I start doing it. Is it going to produce a noticeable difference in most of your baking or cooking? Probably not. But if it helps a little bit to make whatever you're making better, then why not try it out? Because again, it's pretty inexpensive. It's not a very expensive ingredient to include, and you can do that pretty easily. When whether you're doing it in a magical butter, in an ardent, or doing your infusion on the stove or whatever method that you're choosing. So I do appreciate that question, Barry. Thank you. The next question uh, comes from Phil. And let me just pull this one up. He left a message on SpeakPipe. Hi, my name's Phil from Denver. I was just wondering, with all the concentrates available on the market these days, Why do people still cook with flour? Well, I think the short answer to that is that flour is probably more cost-effective in the long run. And a lot of people that are making their own edibles often end up using the trim and the shake and not actual flour. I don't know about you, but I do tend to grow cannabis every summer. I guess before the last couple of summers, I was doing some indoor as well. And I ended up with a whole lot of what you would think of as waste material, the trim, the sugar leaf, the shake, the stuff that you'd find at the bottom of the bag. And that would be something I'd probably otherwise be throwing in the compost. And yet it can make pretty amazing edibles. When you decarb it properly and you infuse it, it turns that quote unquote waste material into something usable and effective for edibles. There are lots of concentrates on the market, and that's not to say that they're not very worthwhile using, but in my jurisdiction where I am, concentrates do tend to be more expensive, of course, because they're highly concentrated, and it takes a lot of flour to make those concentrates. So it can be a more expensive way to go about making your flour. And if you have somebody that you know that's growing, even if you're not growing yourself, you can get your hands on a really inexpensive bag of weed. Even on the legal market where I am right now, it's not uncommon to find can't a whole ounce of cannabis for say less than a hundred dollars sometimes you can find ounces for even less than that we had one in our store now mind you where i am this is canadian dollars of course we had an ounce of weed on sale for seventy dollars now if you're going over to the legacy market some of those gray market dispensaries will even sell bags of shake So if you can make friends with somebody who's growing and they have a whole bunch of this waste material, it's way cheaper to do that than to go with concentrates. Now, having said that, sometimes concentrates are a fantastic way to really boost the potency of your infusions. But if you're smoking weed, you can collect your own as well by using the keef. If you have keef catchers in your grinders, those types of uh, concentrates are fantastic for making, say, infused honey, for instance. So it's not, I think personally, that people are using the flour still, or the sort of waste material that they'd otherwise toss because it's so cheap. And of course, if anybody feels differently about that, then by all means, please let me know. I'd love to hear how you're using concentrates or where you or what you're finding out there. So thank you for that question, Phil. So the next couple of questions came from the High on Homegrown podcast, where I'm also a panel member over on that show on uh, Sundays. Well, we record live on Sundays. And a couple of questions came up about decarbing. And the first one is from Monkey. And the question was, is it possible to over-decarb weed? And the short answer is yes, you definitely can. It gets tricky because most people are decarbing in the oven and oven temperatures can vary quite a bit. I know when I had uh, Brent leach on as um, as a guest some time ago I'll link to that conversation in the show notes as well he is a chef out of Toronto Ontario and I met him through the cannabis cooking company some time back and he was talking about how oven temperatures can vary so much and then unless you're working in a in a commercial kitchen with with uh, extremely precise ovens then those temperatures can vary several degrees And of course, if you over decarb your weed, then you're going to be burning off more of the cannabinoids, the terpenes are going to be gone and all that kind of thing. So it's definitely possible to do it. That is one reason why I do like the ardent cannabis device that I have. And I recommend it because if you're going to be decarbing and you're making a lot of edibles, it's a fantastic way for precision in a countertop device that also reduces the smell at the same time. I have found that the decarbing process in that device is so easy. Again, very little smell. I can just put the stuff in the the device, push some buttons, walk away, and then it's ready to use when I come back, even to the point where I could crumble some of that up and sprinkle it right on my food. And I really like that aspect of it. Now, granted, those devices are rather pricey. And if you're not making edibles all the time, you're not in the market for one of those right now, the oven method is going to be what you're going to have to use. But keep the temperature relatively low and... You know, half an hour is usually sort of the the amount of time that you want to do. I do recall a listener, I think it was Wayne actually, who had that question from earlier, also recommended decarbing in a mason jar with a bit of foil as the lid instead of the lid because you're putting it in the oven. And that was one way to reduce smell as well if you're doing it in your oven. Because I realized that most people are probably doing it this way in the oven So you just don't want to leave it for too long. You'll know when it's starting to get toasty because you'll really smell it. It does make your house smell quite fragrant. Just don't go for too long. If you do overdo it a little bit and you burn off some more cannabinoids than you're intending to, honestly, at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world. You're making these edibles for yourself. Yes, you want want them to be as potent as you can possibly make them for your particular application. But hey, it's all a learning process. None of it goes to waste. You can still use it. That leads to the next question, which is, if you forget to decarb your cannabis before adding it into your coconut oil, how long do you need to heat it at 180 to 200 degrees to compensate for that? Or is it just never going to be the same? That question came from Shonuf, if I said that properly, the screen name from over on uh, the Hind Homegrown podcast. And that's a great question too, because in my experience, what, if you forget to decarb, you can't really compensate for it because it's, it's just... The science, everything. I've, whenever I've spoken to chefs about this particular question, you really do need to decarb ahead of time. Yeah, it might decarb a little bit while it's baking, um, what or cooking, whatever it is that you've made. But at the end of the day, it's much prefer much more preferable to decarb first. You're going to get that whole that whole decarb process set before you put it into an infusion. And once it's in the infusion. I think it's never going to be the same, but I did just put in the last newsletter newsletter that I sent out this month, again, Ardent had this great suggestion, which I shared with um, the readers of the, of the newsletter, and it was an infusion boosting technique. That's why I segued to this because it sort of circles back to the previous question about over-decarbing weed. Let's say you over-decarb or you forget to decarb. They're suggesting that you can take that infusion that might be weak, weaker than you are preferring, or perhaps you have a an infusion that you like the potency of, but you're making something special for a friend and you want to have it at a stronger dose because they prefer their edibles at a different potency. They're saying decarb your weed and then reinfuse your already infused weed with more cannabis to boost the potency of it. Now, I just found out about this technique. I found it very interesting. It's not something I've ever tried, but I think I'm going to be trying it because I did happen to make an infusion not that long ago that when I tested it with my tea check, came out quite a bit less potent than I was hoping for. And I was hoping to make some cookies, or a batch of something for, some, for somebody special. And I knew based on my calculations that the cookies weren't going to be that strong. They probably would be okay for me or for, for Chris, but they wouldn't be that great for the person that I was thinking of gifting them to. So I'm, why not try this, this technique out. I happen to have a whole bunch of already vaped cannabis from my dry herb vaporizer. One of the advantages of using a dry herb vape in fact is that after you smoke your weed, that weed is now decarbed and you can go ahead and use it for infusions. I'm going to try reinfusing it with that uh that weak ass coconut oil that I made that I wasn't too crazy wasn't too happy about. I mean, it might be good. There are actually some applications I could use it for, but I do. I am going to try adding that and I will report back and let you know how it goes because I think it's a great idea. I don't see there's, they put the science behind it. So I'll link to that article in here as well, but they have the science behind how it should work and they did some testing on it. The one thing I really like about the Ardent Cannabis device is... And and the content that they put out on there is they're always testing this stuff in the lab. They're not just saying, hey, we, we did this. We think it's a good idea. They actually go through and look at the science behind it and test it out. And I guess that's because uh, it's quite an innovative company. And if you haven't heard the episode that I did with Chanel, the CEO and founder of Ardent, then 100% worth going back and listening to because she is badass and really knows the science of decarboxylation an infusion to a T. Now the final question that I have is, comes from Steve from Ontario. Hey Marge, can you tell us about the musical interlude that starts your show off? And yes, Steve, I certainly can. So the, oh, let me just pull it up here. I have it. The, I got this particular music, this little riff from a site called Sounds Like an Earful. This, I believe it's a Canadian site and I discovered it quite some time ago. I forgot how, because I was looking for music for the show that was royalty free. The person who is creating original music for podcasters, filmmakers and content creators, when I bought it at the time, I think it was just a pay what you can. So I, you know, sent a little bit of money for the use of this song and I have permission to use it for my show because he's creating this type of music for, like I said, podcasters and content creators and what have you and the name of that little ditty was it's, the website's called sound like sounds like an earful so i'll link to that in the show notes too if there's any content creators out there who are ever looking for some music and it's not showing me the name of this little ditty it's something about like harmonica oh it's harmonica hip hop so the name of the the little ditty is harmonica hip hop that's the one that I'm using at the beginning and end of each episode. And that came from Sounds Like an Earful. If you need any kind of uh, music, but he's producing royalty music for creatives. So check that out. If there's any questions where you didn't really like my answer or you have some feedback or there's something that you've got burning in your own mind that you want to know the answer to, by all means, shoot me an email. It's always available at the bottom of the show notes. You'll see the email address there. And I hope you learned a little something today. And until next week, my friends, stay high.